title's not complicated. Title's not original to me. Uh, Circles are Better Than Rows is a title that you will hear in sermons throughout the United States, throughout the world. Let's see, usually you hear it first Sunday in January. You hear it in April. And then you usually hear it in August or September, depending on when school starts back. Title's not original to me. Idea's not original to me. Fair warning, disclaimer before we get into me trying to do way too much. This concept is not new. This concept is Baptist. It may be marketed as something else, but it was originally started by Baptists. Here's the bad news. You know what happens when you make the decision regrettingly, and leadership here went through a lot of struggles with this, of canceling worship service last Sunday because, quite frankly, we could have raised money for Haitian missions and had an ice skating rink in the parking lot last Sunday. It would have been awesome. We should have done that, actually. Um, is everything was set up so that we could get ready for the big three sermons about being Baptist and the big three worship emphasis of being Baptist after football Sunday. But there were two sermons that needed to happen before that. I only have one Sunday. So you're kind of getting the information of two sermons in one sermon. So all the cute extra explanation and hopefully cute illustrations, you're not really going to get those today, so I apologize for that. I apologize and... Just want to make sure we're clear. But I do want to make sure that we understand what it means being Baptist in the over 400 years of what it means to be Baptist. It doesn't mean that we're better than anybody else. It doesn't mean just because God thinks we're special because we're Baptist. It means if you're going to call yourself a Baptist, it means certain things. And we do live in a culture where we may have forgotten a lot of those things. So let me do this real quickly. And I would like to forewarn you. On undergraduate seminary level, I have taught Baptist heritage several times, so I'm going to set a clock up here, and when it hits a certain time, I'm going to stop, whether I'm done or not, so don't worry. Okay, it'll be just like class, and the bell goes off, and you'll be good, so don't worry. First person you have to know about, you absolutely have to know about as a Baptist. If you do not know about this person as a Baptist, it's a bad thing. Thomas Helwes. I'm sure at some point I will do the dramatic narrative sermon that I had planned to do last week about Thomas Helwes um, when we have the anniversary of the celebration of the first church in Newport, Rhode Island. His famous quote, and yeah, old English is bad. You think reading the King James Version is hard for you? They spoke that way all the time. If you're here looking at it, you'll see that we had to add, add M in front of men, and we have the word betwixt. It's important that you know that Thomas Helwes is connected to a man who is the first Baptist, John Smith. I know, such an creative name for him. John Smith. Here's all you need to know for today as it applies to circles, meaning rows. John Smith and Thomas Helwes stood up and said, King James, yes, that King James, you can't tell us how to worship. You can't tell us how to be baptized. You can't make us give you money to stuff that we don't agree with and apply it to other religious groups. Wow, that's a terrible explanation, but go with that. Okay? And King James did not like this. Many scholars believe that King James worked for several years or made other people work for several years for the creation of something that many of us are indebted to and quote often the King James Version Bible. Why did he do that? Because they needed more money. 
Yeah, always follow the money. Um, so all of their taxes, their tithe, went to the church that King James was in charge of, and Thomas Elwes and John Smith said no more. 1611. This did not go well, and I'm putting it nicely. This did not go well. They have to leave. They go to Netherlands. Things happen. John Smith decides, you know, as we ministers tend to do, which is not a good Baptist thing. You know, your baptisms you had before, those weren't very good. I don't think we did those right. So we need to fix that and start all over again because we're the only ones who are right. It's the red flag, by the way, in case you ever hear that. That's not a Baptist phrase. We're the only ones who are right. So John Smith takes this upon himself and baptizes himself all by himself. You got the image here? Okay. Your minister with the last name of self is mentioning self many times. Please don't miss this. He All by himself, he baptizes himself because now he has declared himself the most important. He's the one who can make all the decisions. He's the one who can decide everything, and the people follow him for a little while. And because he was baptized correctly by himself, he baptized everyone else. Then, after a little while, he decides, you know, I think we should do something different. And the group of them together go, John, we love you. We appreciate you. But we think you've lost your mind. We're not going to follow you to do this dumb thing you want to do. And by the way, the group he wanted to go join never let him join them. And John Smith spends the rest of his life as a talented, powerful speaker who spoke out for religious freedom without a group. Which left us to Thomas Helwes, which is where I got the date 1611 from. Two things we learn from Thomas Helwes that are most important. The state under any circumstances, state means any government, any political organization of any kind should have no say whatsoever in any way, whether subtle or not so subtle, in influencing faith. If at any point the state takes on the values of the faith, then it always backfires. Those of us who have church history degrees, we call this Christendom. It's horrible. It's terrible. It never works. That's a Baptist principle. Baptists are the ones who have stood up for that from the beginning. Be here in a couple weeks when I preach from Matthew 22. I'll unpack that for you. The other thing that's very important in Baptist life and how it applies to this principle today. Baptists have always believed from the beginning, based on principles learned from Thomas Helwes, that we believe in a non-authoritarian view of soul freedom. If that sounds like a very complicated language that I'm using... I'm saying it very carefully because it means a lot of stuff. Soul freedom is a Baptist principle, one of the four fragile freedoms of being Baptist, which means that you are responsible for you. You have the freedom to do, do dumb stuff. I've talked with some of you about dumb stuff you're doing. You have the freedom to do that. But you also have the freedom to answer to God for that dumb stuff. <laughs> Not answer to me, to answer to God. And there should be no authority that forces you to believe something, a phrase that I use a lot. Faith that involves force is not faith at all. Okay. Right now I'm hurting because it was a 17-minute diatribe where I pretend to be Thomas Helwes, which we may do some other time, but just so we're clear. 
the main point of today's message is this. Circles are better or greater than rows. Once again, this concept is not original to me. This concept is the basis of what, in theory, we are trying to do as Great Rivers Region. We're trying to create communities that are Baptists. Shouldn't we want to build a community of Jesus followers who are in community with one another? Now, before you panic and have no idea what I'm talking about, how you're sitting right now, these are called rows. I love rows. I get to stand in front of you and talk. Rows are the best way to dispense announcements. Rows are also the best way to take up offering. They're one of the easiest ways to get a large group together to sing. Rows are important. There are lots of things we can do in rows that we can't do in other settings. It's far more efficient. Those of you function in education, you know this. But there are weaknesses to functioning in the row model. There are certain things that talking to rows can never be accomplished. Community is unlikely to be created just in a row. The definition we're using of a circle for Great Rivers Region is, and let me quote exactly so I don't screw this up, it's a group of people sitting, studying God's Word, listening, sharing, and caring. Though this was not the sermon that was planned for this reason, you should not miss the point that Russ and Claudia are leading small groups after worship today using a faith element curriculum that was designed by Baptists who wanted to create community. Are you going to split the atom in these groups? No. But you're going to keep community. Maybe that doesn't work for you. Maybe you need another setting. Maybe you need another environment where you can create community. A circle is a place where you literally get to say these words and try not to say it while I'm in the room though, but it's okay if you do. Did John really say that on Sunday morning? It's okay to say that in your group. Or, okay, I get the point that John was making about this, or the point about that text, or those of you who are using the faith element curriculum, the point that Nikki or someone else is making in the video, but I don't know how that applies to my life. You get to talk about that. You get to forget. You can only do that in circles. I cannot, as your pastor in rows, ever cover every single thing that you will encounter. Now, you may be like, well, I'm too busy. I've got too many distractions. I've got too many problems. I get that. Community's hard. You live in a culture and a time, and when it's easier just to hide in your house, especially when the temperature's really, really low, and good news, I did that bad thing you should never do during children's moment when I wasn't listening, sorry. Um, I checked the weather for next Sunday. It's supposed to be a high of 42 degrees. Okay, just so you know. Um, You just want to hide in your house because it's too cold. You don't want to go out because being a part of a community is work. Being a part of a community is effort. I can just hide in my house, not go anywhere, pull the blankets over me, and not have to deal with this stuff. But that eventually starts to backfire on you. That eventually becomes a problem that you can't deal with in the long run. Fortunately, it has already been mentioned... And yes, I was listening, just not the whole time. 
in the Old Testament, we have a section in the Old Testament when the Jewish Bible is called wisdom literature. You know it is Proverbs, and some people apply that to be Job in there, and some of the Psalms, and Ecclesiastes. If you've ever sat down to read, like in your one-year Bible, and you're reading through Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, and it sounds like an Americanized fortune cookie, then you're reading it correctly. Wisdom literature in the Old Testament was not intended to give you great new information. It wasn't designed for you to go, oh, I never thought about it that way before. Wisdom literature is somebody simply telling you what you should already know and just reminding you. Now, no matter who you think wrote the Proverbs or who you think wrote Ecclesiastes, they were just trying to point out something that you already knew. It wasn't brand new information. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 reads, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Because I'm going to be distracted and I'm going to do it at just the worst time. I want to make sure we're clear. And if you're too young and didn't suffer through this movie, sorry. Um, you know the Rocky movies? Rocky 27, whatever he's on now at the moment. There was Mr. T. He was Clubber Lang. Because he pitied the fool. But I pity anyone who falls and no one to help them up. Have you ever met somebody who fell financially? And they had a little bit of family to help them, but they really didn't have anyone else. Have you ever met somebody who emotionally or socially fell, but they didn't have family to help them? They didn't have anybody to help them. We pity them, as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, because we know it is sad. You ever met someone who failed in a relationship and fell, and no one was there to pick them up? You ever known someone who had a medical issue, or their family member had a medical issue, and they didn't know what to do with it, and they fell, and there was no one to pick them back up? They isolated themselves and they pulled themselves in a corner and they just sat down and they had their own little pity party. Because woe is me. Pity anyone who falls and has no one to pick them up. Now maybe those big picture things don't apply to you and you can't relate to them at the moment. Let me ask this question which is clearly beyond preaching. It's now meddling. Who in your life feels free to ask, are you okay? And will not accept the words, I'm fine. As I've attempted to train every young male that I've taught a dating curriculum to of any kind, if a woman that you're interested in says she's fine, don't believe her, find someone else to find out. Don't worry, ladies, we do the same thing to you. We just do it differently with more growling, okay? It's just the same thing. Is there someone in your life? Is there a group of people in your life? Is there a circle of people in your life who can surround you when things aren't okay? When you might be about to fall down? Who doesn't take, I'm fine. Because the writer of Ecclesiastes would say, I pity the one who doesn't have that. 
He continues to write, and yes, Ecclesiastes is kind of like an Americanized fortune cookie, so it's, skip around, you get to verse 12, and he really punches this home. It says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. So now it's gone from just being hard to someone's attacking you. You didn't just fall, you're being attacked. Now, those of us living in Western civilization, overpowered could be applied to be overwhelmed. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Well, I'm too busy to get out. I'm too busy to do stuff. I'm too busy to interact with people. I'm too busy to deal with the problem. Everybody you know in this room is too busy and too overwhelmed to deal with this stuff. Then the writer of Ecclesiastes then says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. How does this apply? People who are in circles, people who meet on a regular basis and studies God's Word, and maybe they do it for five minutes together. I'm not arguing the quality or the length or anything. They may be brokenhearted. They may have hurts. They may have pain that they don't know how to voice. But when they continue to be a part of a community, to be a part of a circle, to be a part of a group, they are not quickly broken. Those are the people you hear about later who I can't believe you made it through that. It's because they had people to pick them up. Because a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Okay, this concept of a circle, and for you that may look like a Sunday school class, it may look like another group another time, it may look like an actual small group, whatever you think it looks like. Circles are preventative. This is a Baptist principle, goes back to Thomas Helwes all the way back when he literally comes back to try to save his family and gets thrown in prison. He, Thomas Helwes gives a copy of his book to King James, autographed copy by the way, And King James responds with, that's nice, hope you enjoy the rest of your life in prison. And he dies in prison. But he had a group to support him and support everyone involved because they had something they believed in. What does it mean that circles are preventative? Well, let me try to cover this really quickly. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and I really like to preach this sermon, I'm planning on doing it sometime this year. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, what you know is Matthew 7 says the words that those of us may have learned in King James, judge not lest you be judged. And we kind of take that to mean we're not supposed to judge others. Eh, wrong answer. That's not even close to what Jesus meant. Jesus meant if you see something that you need to help someone else with, Double check, triple check to make sure you're not having a problem with that. Get your act together with the help of others. Then go help that other person. That's the point of the whole the log and the thing in the eye. That's the point. You need people who literally can say these words. I know this is awkward for you. But I see this coming for you. And you need to do something different. That's what circles do. Now, real quick, so as not to waste my time. I'm trying to decide to pick on single people or married people right now. Um, Let's go with married people. Um, Married people, 
Wives, have you ever felt like you speak to your husband and, and they don't hear a word you say? Please don't look at my wife right now because she feels that way. She feels that way four-thirds of the time. So they don't listen, you say it, they don't listen at all. Some of that's because you've become familiar and you just don't hear these things and you have to perspective. Guys, have you ever thought when you spoke to your wife that you can see there's an issue and you want to help, but you mentioned it that one time and it didn't go so well? And you're not going to say it again? Circles are preventative. There are people in your life There are people in your world who can see what's going on in your world. They can see it, and you can't. And if you choose to isolate yourself and not meet with people and not talk about these things and not try to unpack these things, you will never find these things out. It's a speech that we give to single males all the time. You want that date, but you don't understand the 12 things you're doing that doesn't that reason they don't want to be with you. And because you're single and you're not living at home with mom and dad anymore, no one can tell you. Freedom is great. Freedom abused is not so good. You need a circle where people can tell you, I need you to understand these things and I need you to see these things. One of the reasons that talking about circles being preventative and being in a group, even if you have to be in a group and it's not that much fun at the beginning and you don't really understand and you're not sure you like these people and whatever. You don't know what you're preventing from happening. The best analogy, and at the risk of getting really off script here for a second, the best analogy is retirement. You don't want to think about your retirement money. You just want it to be there when you want it to be there. For circles to be preventative, for someone to be able to say to you, I see this coming, you had to have time to develop a relationship. You had to have time to be in community. Baptists believe that studying the biblical text and growing as Christians is a community operation. Yeah, we believe you get to make your own decisions, but you get to make those decisions being part of a group. No one person gets to decide them. And you get to be a part of a group. This has not really happened here, so I can use this analogy at this point. This happens at a lot of churches where people call the church office because they think that's the church. And they say, we've got this problem, can the church help? And trust me, if you have one of those situations, call me, text me, message me. We will do whatever we can do to help you and comfort you when bad things happen. But I will not, and pastors have never been attended to, I will not be able to be as comforting as people who have walked with you through these situations. Now, I realize that may seem complicated. But if you have a group that you study God's Word at least a little bit with, and you actually learn what about that person, and you learn to spend time with that person, when these tragedies happen, you already have people there to stand up and pick you up, or maybe even those things that cause you to fall won't happen because they'll see them first. If you wait until you have to call the pastor 
As much as we think we can solve everything, we can't. We will do everything we can. If you need food, we will get you food. If you need money, we'll figure out how to get you money. If you need comfort and you need an answer to a question that doesn't make sense, not going to answer it at that time. Check back with me another month or two when you're ready for the answer. But we'll do those things. But that will not be as successful as you having someone who you meet with on a regular basis who most likely doesn't agree with you about a bunch of stuff. Because circles are preventative. Think about it for a second. Let's just pick on them. I know many of you, other of you have worked in our, with our teenagers and our children. But Laura and Rob and Justin and Keith and G-Men and everyone who does all this stuff, there is no way for you to have any idea what working with those teenagers and children has prevented happening to them in the future. Maybe working with them in those circles is going to keep some young woman having to, away from dealing with an unwanted pregnancy. You don't know. That's what makes it so hard. Well, it doesn't seem valuable right now. You don't know. If those circles we're creating, there's a reason we've created these lunch programs. There's a reason the children and the teenagers get tortured by me because it gives them an opportunity to be in a circle together so they can talk about these things and so they can think about these things. But they have to learn to trust me and they have to learn to trust each other. It takes time. But if they do, one of them can say to another one, I know what you're thinking, but that's a terrible idea. Circles are preventative. Once upon a time, in a land a few time zones away, but not too many, there was a man named John. He had an H in his name. Yes, H's are ooh, but that's a different conversation. He had an H in his name. And he came from a family with some influence, and he did some things, and it was a different time period, so they viewed people of different races, different cultures, different statuses differently. They even traded them. The term slave trader was developed during this time. And this man named John... Didn't have anybody to help him. Didn't have anybody to look out for him. And went down a horrible, awful life and made lots of decisions that caused his health to deteriorate dramatically later in life. That caused him to live with regret beyond what I can even imagine. But eventually he encountered some people. He may have had a miraculous experience with God similar to Paul's Damascus Road experience. But eventually he got to meet with some other people. Now John was brilliant because, let me just say it, anybody with the name of John is going to be brilliant. He was brilliant. And he eventually meets this man, we'll call him Will. You may know Will. He was a powerful force. And Will was working in the government in his country. And he felt because of his faith that all people should be created equal. And all people should be treated that way. No one wanted to listen. And the government even said to him, shut up. 
we're not going to do it because it'll destroy everything we exist because life is easier with these slaves. Will started meeting with John. John was much older, much wiser, much more blind. In case you haven't caught on to who I'm talking about yet. And they studied the Bible and they read. And John said to Will, I know you've worked really hard on this. And I know everybody's blocked you and blocked you and blocked you and blocked you. But you are the one who can make the difference. You are the one that can change the lives of this entire culture. You are the one who can set the example for the entire world. And through all the illnesses that Will had, He kept moving. He kept going because he had someone in a setting that he trusted who could say to him, I see something awesome in you and you can do it. Now the negative of that argument is if Will had not had someone, you might never have the inspiration that inspires Abraham Lincoln to free the slaves of the United States. Because you're missing this I'm referring to John Newton and William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce is Abraham Lincoln way before there was Abraham Lincoln. Now, it took a lot longer in England to get rid of slaves. You thought we had trouble in this country? Go check the history of England. It's not good. It takes him his entire life to get slavery overthrown in England. And there was a man named John Newton who was a slave trader, treated people awful, treated people badly, made bad decisions, had no one there to stand up for him, who said to Will, I believe in you, you can do it. Now what was the reason that John thought that? Because John had had an experience with Jesus. John had had an experience, and he called it a moment of amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I know we cheat in the 21st century and put the words on the screen, but back when we all used to read from these books that had words in them, you would see at the bottom it would say, Amazing Grace, written by John Newton. Now the end of this John Amazing Grace, that last hymn, we, that last verse we always sing, that's the big triumphant song part, he didn't write that part. It's okay. But he is the inspiration to William Wilberforce. Feel free to Google that. He is the one who inspires slavery being overthrown in England and setting a model, though it happens earlier here in the U.S. than it does in England because it takes so long there, that inspires Abraham Lincoln. Because one person who was meeting and studying the Bible with another person in a group said, I see this in you. And even though he almost died trying to do it, he almost lost his family trying to do it, he stood up and he did what God wanted him to do. Since I broke my rule and preached too long, let me say these words. We're going to sing that song if you hadn't figured that out yet. When you're hearing those words, hear the words of a slave trader who is now trying to inspire other people. Hear the words of someone who didn't have anybody to stand up for him, but sees how important it is to have people to stand up for him. We believe as Baptists, for you to be successful, you need to meet with other people on a regular basis, spend some time studying God's Word in a circle. 
not just listening to the loudmouth preacher tell you big stories. I want you to take the time as we sing this song to reflect and think about what it could mean for you if someone like John Newton was able to speak to you because you were in a community and had developed enough relationship with other people where they could say to you, I see this in you. Maybe you should do this differently. You may not, cure, you may not solve slavery, but you might solve something really significant for you so that you will never fall. The cheesy title I had for this sermon originally was, It Ain't Easy Being Baptist, because it's a lot of work. we got to look out for other people ahead of us. we got to meet with people, and I'm sure I'll preach on this another time. we got to meet with people that we may not always agree with, and we have to practice love. We live in the 21st century, in which church can often become a place where you stand in, or sit, sit or stand in rows, and you get information. Church should be, and it's easier to do in a circle, where you learn to practice love. Because if you can't get it right here, you're not going to get it right out there. Holy God, thank you for today. Thank you for reminding us that we are part of something bigger than us. And that if we make the effort to be a part of something bigger, we might prevent things we can't even imagine. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.